What ho, dearest podcast land, and welcome to what is sure to be another legendary, I say legendary episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or barely Docbast. That's right. Today, for your auricular delectation podcast land, we have a particularly interesting bit of bonus content for you, because we have arrived at the 13th Doctor Retrospective. We have reviewed all of Jodie Whittaker's and Chris Chibnall's era, some of it twice. Hmm. Mm. And as we are wont to do, we are going to take a meta step and reflect on what our brains were treated slash subjected to. But who are these we that I keep referring to? <laughs> I was about to ask. <laughs> well, I'm Leon. Pleasure to be speaking to you, Podcast Land. And before me, at my dinner table that is the Who Back When studio, sits a chap whom I could never give a loud and bombastic enough fanfare. There are road signs all along the A40 alerting drivers that reverberations of his quips may cause unwanted distractions. Yes, indeed, a silver-tongued rapscallion who's drollery forces me to caution you, podcast land, to please not listen to this episode whilst operating heavy machinery. Ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and beyond, want to be him or be with him. I'm talking, of course, of that bard of badinage, that fashionable <laughs> farceur, that plucky punster. It's the dude with two O's. It's Drew. Hello, Drew. The dude with two Oh, yes, right. Yes, yes. Yes, it is I buffing <laughs> the inner caverns of your lug holes tonight, podcast. Yum. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't quite farceur badinage material, but I'll, I'll try to up my game. Hmm, well, I'm setting a high bar here. <laughs> yeah. 13th Doctor Retro, dude. Indeed. Yeah, that's it. That is it. Mm-hmm. There's lots to unpack here, but high level. High level, there are some really great episodes in the Whittaker slash Chibnall era. Yes. Yes. Some truly high highs. Indeed. I wanted to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I I bet you there's a chunk of podcast land that is expecting us to just hate during this retro. Not just hate. We're so much more. We we are so much more. We also have contempt. <laughs> <laughs> but we also learned, I think, during our actual reviews of this era, that it wasn't quite so bad. On average, it wasn't quite so bad as we remembered it being, or at least not as bad as I remember, <laughs> remembered it being. Did you say Rick remembered it being? I did not. <laughs> it's not like edging towards that. <laughs> but I have done a statistical analysis. So of have our I. Averages. Oh my goodness! So have I. Yes. Let's hear it. Okay. I think I mocked Trenton for using two decimal places. <laughs> Turns out they are quite necessary. Yes, once indeed. you get this many numbers that close together, and yeah, on average, my gut instincts were backed up. And guess what? Thirteenth era is slightly lowest of all the eras from ten to thirteen. Yeah, th- that is true. Your average is two point eight one. Oh, you've done it for me. Oh, I've wasted all my afternoon. No! All your afternoon. Mine is 2.89. Oh, this is great. We are so close. 2.8, 2.9. Bingo. Obviously, Marie also participated in some of these reviews. Her average is 4.05. She only reviewed two of them. It was Rosa and Spiders in Sheffield. Maybe only turning up for those that she particularly relished. Yes. (laughs) Well, we don't have a B-Scout, so let's just get into the rest of these averages. I also worked out my averages for 10, 11, and 12. Oh, I did not. I'm super curious about this. This is why it took me all afternoon. For 10 and... If you know where to look, Podcast Land, you can find my ratings for the Tenant episodes before I actually join the podcast. Ooh. Yes. Easter egg. (laughs) (laughs) 3.11. Matt Smith, 3.17. Okay. Peter Capaldi, 3.32. Right. Jodie Wesker, 2.81. Yeah. All right. So it is is actually significantly lower. Yes. But it's funny how those small numerical differences 
like it's just point five one between Capaldi and Whitaker, the two, the top and the bottom. Yeah. But boy, do you feel that in your gut? Like that's what I'm saying. Like even when I broke it down series by series, the lowest was Jody's second, two point five nine. That's still better than average, better than halfway up our scale. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. The best, go on, guess. What, the best season or the best what? The series I liked the best, according to the numbers. Of Jodie's? Of, of the whole thing. Oh, I don't know. Tell me. Series 9, 3.71, where Capaldi was the rock god. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Breaking into Davros's <laughs> castle. My n- nerd brain is incapable of remembering which season what happened. Uh, so, right. like, season 9 means nothing to me. But if you say Capaldi playing the guitar on a tank in the <laughs> yeah. in medieval times. Yeah, I'm on board. Yeah. Well, series four, Donna Noble, second place, 3.59. Cool. I won't bore everyone with all the numbers, but basically your gut's memory isn't fully off. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and I will just say the Jodie Whittaker numbers. Series 11, 2.9. It's not great, but it's not terrible. Flux, 3.17. Perfectly passable. I think, yeah, well, Flux, we, Podcast Land, if you haven't listened to our Flux reviews, if you haven't listened to our actual reviews, this is an odd episode to start listening to back when with. Unless they're going to listen to the whole podcast backwards. Uh, what yeah. a tiny, whiny mind fuck that would be. I suppose that is true. But you may want to explore our reviews themselves. And in Flux... I don't know, they could hear us getting younger and more immature and... Well, well, vulgar. I mean, wouldn't that be a nice way? Well, to... in flux. Sorry, in flux. Yeah. So, in flux, <laughs> we are giving it like relatively high scores up until the very end. Yeah. For example, so that's a season that maybe numerically could look a little bit better. But if we just skip that ending, that makes absolutely no sense. That is utter shit, and that it, it just didn't appeal to either one of us. It didn't even hit comedic notes. It's a strong season. It's another one that might even be up there on your list. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Right. Anyway. We have done some numbers. Yep. <laughs> You've crunched numbers. <laughs> Fabulous <laughs> use of an afternoon. I'm very pleased that you did that. Um, right. Okay. So we jump into categories. Uh-huh. Have you revised your opinion of the 13th Doctor now having re-watched and re-reviewed everything versus how you felt at the time when it was playing live on our tellies? It's tricky, I was pulled in both directions because when we review it for the podcast, we always bring a more critical eye to it. I might watch it twice instead of once if I feel like there's a lot to analyze and that will inevitably inevitably bring out more negatives as well as more positives. And you also lose the instantaneous wow factor of watching new Doctor Who, which Mm. is always a thrill, always a rush, even if (laughs) at the end you vomit into a bucket, at least you've got something. (laughs) Which you've probably been waiting a long time for. At the same time, I found that a deeper understanding allowed me to forgive a little bit more. Not of Chris Chibnall, but Jodie Whittaker, definitely. Yeah, so you've, you've preempted my next question, which is essentially, where would you lay <laughs> praise and blame? Yeah. Is it Chibbers as yes. the primary writer and showrunner, or is it Whittaker? Because I've certainly, I think at least, I've revised my opinion of Whittaker. I think Whittaker actually did a pretty good job overall do tell well i think so i I think she was dealt i did find put a pin in that i found a quote of hers as in of whitaker's not of the 13th doctors that i want to bring up okay but in general i think she was kind of dealt a really poor hand i think a lot of people would agree with you let's say she had started with moff still there 
it's not also turning viewers off by looking different, sounding different, feeling a little bit different, being grittier, darker, Netflixier, yada, yada, yada. So she would still be able to rest comfortably on this is the thing that everyone knows and loves. And don't worry, give me a little bit of time. I will fit right into it. Right. So so she is one shock to the system competing with so many other shocks to the system in her season. In her first season, I mean. Plus, the writing's really poor at times. I would say, picking up on your grittier and darker comment, Capaldi started off gritty and dark as anything when he appeared in Deep oh, that is Breath, true yeah yeah he was a man he seemed to be really morally well yes obviously he was a man that's not the point i'm making podcast land let me finish <laughs> that's not the beginning and end not qed he had this weird darkness to him that was actually a doctor long arc that moffat had built into the character to yeah. go from there to go from that really unsettling dark place to one where he was rhapsodizing about kindness. Despite everything, all the torments and anguish he experienced in between, he came in with a real plan. Chibbers also came in with a real plan. Yes. He came in with a two-tier plan. One was to make the episodes look dark and gritty, and the other was to completely rewrite the canon of the Doctor and not join them up in any way. So you had sort of two superficial readings that had they meshed together and synergized as a better showrunner might have managed would have just had so many satisfying facets where there were just trap doors into murky nothingness that tallies so incredibly well with the quotes of Whitaker's that I wanted to bring up so so when we did Power of the Doctor when we reviewed that just the other week yeah or two weeks ago whenever it was we talked about the master about Sasha Dewan's master and such the one saying, I've never watched Doctor Who, I didn't explore any of the old masters, I didn't want to plagiarize, blah, 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 blah. And yeah. I certainly buffed out of every orifice at that because it clashes so severely with, for example, I brought up at the time, Capaldi. Yeah. Like, obvious example of someone who very recently starred on the show. I would call Sasha the one one of the stars of, of the this era. And Capaldi, since he was a fucking embryo, had been a fan of Doctor Who. And he knew everything about it. And he just wanted nothing but to be part of it. Yeah, I want to bring in David Tennant at this point. Because today I learnt that yeah. David Tennant only appeared in Scream of the Schalke. Yeah. Because he was in the next studio recording a play for Radio 4. And as an avid, lifelong Doctor Who fan, he basically wore down the director until he gave him a cameo. Right. So here is a quote from Jodie Whittaker. For me, I came to this as... A, I'm not going to do the accent. For me, for me, I came to this as a new Whovian, and I didn't grow up in a Who house. I want to enjoy this at the end when I hand over these shoes. The majority of my research was reading and taking it from that, purely because you can never be wholly unique and wholly inventive. But I wanted to feel I was open, responding, and using my instinct at not thinking. Have I just nicked that from somebody else? That rings a bell, perhaps? Mm. I probably have, and there are happy accidents within the comparisons, but none of it was intentional. Which I take to be a really nice way of saying I did no research. I'm not a fan of this. Certainly not a fan of this. She would have done research, but yeah, there was definitely a feeling, wasn't there? Um, She's deliberately avoiding watching what other actors did with this character, with this part. And also, that's not all you gain from watching prior episodes. 
what you would pick up from that is how to get stuff done what needs to be done and in how quick a time and little shortcuts and little tips that mean that when we come to watch it as viewers you're not like it seems like these guys don't know how to make the show it seemed a like a really different experience which i guess they were going for and they certainly succeeded yeah well done b sometimes they would absolutely nail it and it would be great and other times it would be like a kid trying to stack up alphabet blocks into a script and putting that on the screen and now i get it it's yeah it's the same page club i'm curious to see what's gonna happen when rtd picks this back up again in just a month we'll get more who and i'm very curious to see what that's gonna look and feel like yeah if it's going to try to continue this because like oh no no chippers has now set a tone and we now have to gradually develop on from that we'll grow maybe we'll continue the same thing and we'll grow but we'll grow from here rather than we'll revert back to what we had before. But I'm very curious what he's going to do with it. He's certainly giving Kate and Unit another giant mid-London skyscraper. I've not seen any teasers. Uh, I've not seen any trailers. I haven't even listened listened to the new theme song. Flipping it, you're the perfect guy to be the next Doctor, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't done any of that because I want no spoilers and I want to absolutely cream myself when I watch this live. I want to watch it live and I want that to be my first impression in its totality. Right. Cannot wait. So I'm sorry, I can't comment on that. But but yeah, sure. So it could equally be like an Avengers clone kind of skyscraper. I, I don't know. They need to appease Disney now. So maybe that is another thing. Yeah. That's going to really stymie our looking forward to the 14th Doctor segment of perhaps the next episode, but sure. No, sure. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still super looking forward to it. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. going to continue watching this until I die. But yeah, anyway, right. How about this? How about we jump into, we'll continue to freeform this conversation, I have no doubt. But how about we add a little bit of structure and, and tack on these categories and then we can kind of talk around that however we want. Okay, what we got? So here are the categories that I have in general just noted down in my bullet point list. Best episodes, worst episodes. Mm-hmm. Flux, because that's a thing in its own right. Yep. The fam, the villains, of whom there were plenty. Yes. I've written missed opportunities. I've only noted three on my list, but I can, I'm sure we can spitball a few more. Mm-hmm. Comparisons with prior docs and comparisons with prior eras. Okay, I've already done a bit of that. Oh, fantastic. Well, numerically. Oh, okay, okay. But we'll flesh it out, Podcast Land. We'll get some qualitative content. Of course we will. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Why don't we start at the end, compare this to prior eras and prior doctors? Because okay. that's kind of the conversation we're already having. Do you feel... The 13th Doctor, what what encapsulated the 13th Doctor's persona in a way that is different, slightly different to other prior Doctors? If I say gestures, (laughs) the acting through the hands... I have written handsier on my my list. But this is part of a point that I realised after seeing the whole era. Jodie had to flail about like that to fight for screen space she, she had to make a visual impression because she's she's with to, a lot of people yeah she had to share the screen with so many other people and yeah. i started thinking about how every character acts in a different way through their body bradley walsh acts with his fingers i think he's always pointing oh that's interesting i haven't yeah. considered those things yeah ryan sinclair toast and cole he acts with his shoulders and his smile yes ah, okay. gill acts with her neck John Bishop acts with his teeth. Wait, John Bishop acts with his teeth? Yeah. Is that not just because he is quite, like, a large percentage of John Bishop is teeth? He is quite toothy, <laughs> but the camera is also focusing right in on them. 
And okay. yeah, I think they stand in for a lot of his emotion. I think John Bishop has very nice teeth. Yeah. And I think John Bishop thinks so too. Why not show them? Uh, <laughs> that's exactly what he does, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but think of all the times that Mandip Gill just sort of cocks her head slightly and... Yes, but this yeah. is also, I think, because her character is just there to be confused and oblivious. Yes, ask questions. Either enable to, other characters to know things. Either to know nothing and prompt an observation from someone else, or to make the perfect observation herself. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. Well, so what I'm saying is, Jodie, she had to be big and handsy because. She was sharing the TARDIS with far too many people. Well, I completely agree. That's been one running comment of ours throughout this entire era of reviews as well. You get rid of two companions... Don't replace them with two more. <laughs> Don't add even more companions in. Like, just, just, just keep it to one. <laughs> and even when the Doctor is isolated, suddenly she's split into multiple selves and she's her own pair of companions. Yeah, exactly. I'm curious about... Not, you probably know a little bit more about this, having watched trailers and, and so on, but I'm curious how they're going to deal with this going forward. Mm-hmm. I guess it's maybe just Donna in the anniversary specials coming up. And then we have seen absolutely this, nothing of shooties. In yeah, that's yet. true. Nothing the, at all. But I was going to say, even well, in, apart from a couple of stills. But I was going to say, in this time, I mean, shooty has one companion, certainly one primary companion. Yeah, Ruby Sunday. And terrible then, name. Terrible name. Be a better story. I'm sure she's going to be great. Yeah. But then there's also is she going to be in this set of specials or just in shooty's season? There's like an extended fam. Oh, uh, a rose, a new ro- rose. Exactly, there's yeah. a new rose. There's some- was someone else. I can't remember who else it was. Maybe it's Rose's mum or dad. Well, Donna's mum is around. Donna's mum is... Yes, you're right. And yeah. Possibly Wilf- getting less of a raw deal and being less just completely embittered this time. And Wilf as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't wait for... Yeah, I can't wait for that either. Oh, dear Cribbins. But that feels like it's going to be more furniture around the the edges, and you still just have one main companion. So I'm curious to see if, as Shooty gets on with more and more episodes, possibly more and more seasons, he also picks up more and more companions. I'm assuming that RTD and the BBC have realised, all the tri- tri-letter acronyms have realised... <laughs> no, keep it to one companion. Maximum but two. If anyone can bring off a complex interplay and actually make all the characters seem different rather than interchangeable, I'd give RTD a fair crack at that. Yeah, that's true. But you know what? I think one of the problems with having this many companions isn't necessarily having this many companions. It's that Chibbers try to lend them all complexity. Yeah. Lend them all nuance. Like, they all have... Yaz has her love story. Ryan has his very complicated relationship with his dad. And he misses his grandmother. And he has a complicated con- relationship with Graham, who in turn is battling cancer and missing his his wife or partner. And Dan has his love story as well, but also is really charitable and wants to help people. Like, well, there's a little bit too much happening for all of them. None of that is a problem, because these are all dealt with quickly in a few moments. However... I don't I be- no, disagree with that. What I'm going to say is, because yeah, yeah. there are so few episodes in general... These storylines get stretched out. What should happen in one series takes two, possibly slightly more than two. And so, A, you can't keep any momentum going with those arcs. So you go three, four or five episodes and then, oh, Ryan gets his character moment this week. And so it all feels Hmm. too stretched out, too thin, narrow and... Yeah. I, I think it's the other way around. 
I think this is, I think all of those intrigue subplots are condensed. So you say fewer episodes. Jodie had 31 episodes. Yes. Tennant had 47, Smith had 44, Capaldi had 40. So 31, significantly fewer. Mm -hmm. Across 40 episodes with Capaldi, or 44 with Smith, or 47 with with Tennant. Did we learn as much about Rose, even? Rose! Or any other tenant oh, companion. Definitely. Rose, as we learned about all of these. Rose had her thing with Mickey Ricky going on, had Jackie to deal with, had her dad and losing him. All that was part of her character. But that was one episode. Well, oh, dad was two one episode, episode. Two episodes because we also have Nightmare and Silver and whatever it's called. Nightmare Not Nightmare and Silver? Silver. Oh, Rise of the Cybermen. Rise Age of the Cybermen. The Age of Steel, sorry. Nightmare and Silver is a different one. Apologies. Pens down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Clara had time to be three or four significantly different people. So she could have been. <laughs> I, st- I still feel like they have, they have like one, maybe two things each uh. that they deal with and that they explore over a much longer period of time. Whereas any one character here has like five or six traits that should all merit lots of screen time, I- lots of lots of script pages. But we only have 31 episodes to begin with. They're only going to be on in a subset of those 31. And on top of that, there's lots of other plot and shit going on. Yeah. And well, 17 there, other companions. The there's the thing. I see where you're coming from. And I think we're coming at the exact same point from different angles. Yeah. With Clara, I'd say she had time to be the impossible girl. She had time to be the have the whole Danny Pink storyline come along. Yes, that's and true. And after that, she became really carefree and tried to live her best life. And all of that happened. I think that's an extension of the Danny Pink storyline, but sure. Yes, well, it's a new phase of it anyway yeah there's complexity there i think that perhaps and i brought this up along the way the worst thing chibbers did was he tried to make the characters of the weak complex but he didn't do that really by any other way than giving them time at the beginning of the episode to sort of put them front and center and be like well that's your lot you got to say i tried and then do you remember i tallied it up at one point where in a run of episodes jody came in after five minutes after six minutes yeah. after seven minutes and so and we kept doing like let's just command f the amount of time someone has a line <laughs> yeah yeah in a script and she would have a minority of lines in some episodes yeah so there were real structural issues and yeah agreed it, it did kind of make the episodes seem slightly as if they'd been scripted by a robot that didn't quite have the full program installed the full script writing program and i don't want to be super mm. harsh on chibbers but definitely he needed a co-runner at the yes at the same level as him because i don't think he was fully up to it by himself and i i, I don't say that to be mean i say that just it's a, sadness things weren't better it's a huge intellectual property which comes with tremendous pressure i mean like the responsibility that comes with running doctor who is immense yeah and you need someone who has done something at least slightly similar, proven themselves. What is he? Yeah, he's done some other stuff, but... Broadchurch. He had a hit with Broadchurch at just the right time. But that is nowhere near as large, you know, in scale, in scope, as Doctor Who. Of course not. And it doesn't have a fan base as huge as Doctor Who. Yeah, it's got Tenant in it, so there'll be a little bit of overlap. But it's not like people go, mm, Broadchurch, wow, that really changed the game for procedurals. <laughs> yeah. No, it really didn't. It, yeah. it, it was a it was a good show. 
Didn't need the American version of it, but yeah, it was a good show. Yeah. What you need is either, and I mean, I'm going off recent history here and just describing it, but I think this amounts to a kind of argument. You need a massive extrovert like RTD who lives, breathes Doctor Who every minute. He wakes up in the morning thinking about it. He goes to sleep thinking about it. He wakes up in the middle of the night with three new script ideas because he's been dreaming about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he can do it on his own. Moffat, he had (laughs) Gatiss. Yes, exactly. And he was doing Sherlock at the same time, but they were a partnership, and they were they could clearly bounce ideas off each other. Gatiss's singular episodes, Moffat's more overarching thing. Chibbers didn't have that, and he's clearly not an extrovert because he's he wasn't everywhere, all over the socials like RTD is constantly, absolutely mad with glee about what he can drip feed you today. And he's he's doing the same thing that Chibbers and uh, sorry that that Whitaker and Dewan are doing. Of no, I I don't want to be influenced. I want to do my own thing, which is admirable. But it's the but- wrong approach here. Yeah. That's a great thing for if Broadchurch had been a show for one mini series in the 70s and he's rebooting it, great, mm. do that. But if this is something that is going continually and continuously for almost 60 years soon, very soon, don't. Like, just don't. <laughs> there must have been backing at the BBC for this to happen because it had lost a lot of viewers towards the tail end of the Moffat era. Unfairly, because series 9 and 10 of Capaldi are great, but I get how they weren't universally appealing. Sure, yeah. yeah. Especially to kids. Yeah. So put it on a Sunday night, make it really kid-friendly, and also make it Netflix super dark and gritty and horrible with an enormous body count. Yeah. What? <laughs> Kids love that stuff. Yeah, as long as there's a primary school teacher narrating at the front. Can I jump back like three tangents ago? Please. So comparing Doc to prior Docs, and you brought up the other companions, which we I, I really want to do a deep dive into the companions with you. I have a feeling that we'll be in the same page club on a few of those notes as well. But I think we've done enough of these reviews by now to know where we stand. Do you think the 13th Doctor is closer to her fam than prior Doctors have been to their companions? Like, is there an emotional (sighs) sensitivity here that hasn't been reflected before? That is a really great point, because I would say that from the start, it seemed so, and yet it never went anywhere. Yeah. Like, there there was no depth added until Thasmin at the end was really shoehorned in. Yes. Yeah, and they also, they try to do this balancing act. That's a good point. They also try to do that balancing act again towards the end of, no, 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 Doc is, I'm I'm thinking specifically of the Dan farewell. And also the reunion with the classic companions where Dan doesn't even get a farewell, actually, because Doc is emotionally stunted. Or when Graham, what's the conversation that she has with Graham? What is that about? Is that a, does he hey? say, by the way, I have cancer? Or is, is he saying something about, I think this might be in the second Tim Shaw episode where he and Ryan have tried, not tried, they have now... Stooped to Tim Shaw's level. Exactly. Yeah. Popped him in one of those eternal pain pods. Calm as a bitch. And they're sitting in the TARDIS... I might be mixing up episodes, but anyway, Graham's sitting in the TARDIS, Doc comes up to Graham, he pours his heart out, and she's like, I'm just going to walk away from this. Yeah, I don't know what to say, but later on, I might, so I'll just leave you in suspense, shall I? 
I don't know if that is that episode. It might be diff- different, a later one even, but so, yes. So there's an element of like, yeah, she is really close to her fam because she well, she calls them fam for starters. She's always like, come with me. Hey, we're all together. I love you. You're so great. You're wonderful, happy people with so much potential. Like humans, humans have such potential. Yeah. Right and from then, the beginning, she's doing that. And they're like, oh, I don't know. It's a bit over familiar, isn't it? You weirdo, you crazy alien. Yeah, but then the writing also requires her to keep them at an arm's length. Yeah. Partly because she's emotionally stunted and an alien and maybe can't relate to human emotions or whatever, but but also because there's nothing to substantiate that proximity. (laughs) Yeah. I can't fully remember how Matt Smith and Amy Pond developed, for instance, and the same with Capaldi and Clara, and maybe Matt Smith and Clara, but I get the feeling that they did grow more in sync and more chummy later on. Here, I think the development is given to the companions in a way because the Doctor, from the first moment, is seems to be all in. And they come around to it. And as they come around to it, she kind of backs away from it. So it's really frustrating. Again, this word, it keeps cropping up. Here's, a, here's another question for you. Is she more human than prior Doctors? More than half. I mean, you mentioned, How's that possible? <laughs> well, you, you mentioned Matt Smith, for example. Matt Smith, I love Matt Smith. Absolutely. I adore his doctor. You should see my numbers to two decimal places. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Smith and Pond have a super interesting dynamic, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do believe that their relationship does develop very naturally and very positively throughout the course of their run together. Yeah. Despite its ups and downs, they grow closer. But I think part of that and part of what allows that that growth to not just be, hey, we've got one thing in common, that's enough for us to have conversation at the water cooler, is that yeah. he's a fucking alien. And he's mad and crazy and he's super duper different. Whereas I think maybe Jodie Whittaker is a little bit more human than he is. Yes, it was a case of show don't tell in terms of her alienness, wasn't it? Because sometimes she would come along and she would say, I'm in the stratosphere this week. And you're down there for now. (laughs) Rather than, yeah, being a different kind of creature. I think that's why scenes like the... Graham, I'm just going to back away from this because I don't know how to react to it. I think the reason... I think that's why those scenes feel slightly out of place because she is completely human up and... She's just a genius human, essentially, up until that scene where the alienness is ham-fisted. The alienness is is what alienates her to her companion in that one teeny tiny brief instant and why everyone in the audience, I'm assuming, certainly we, I'm sure at the time, went, why Why was that written? Like, that was, that was a horrible way to develop that scene. Yes, horrible. Absolutely. And I can see perhaps what they were going for, but at the same time, you do have an alien with incredible cognitive powers not always incredible emotional powers but yeah but she doesn't have to be some sort of emotionally stunted savant she can be incredibly clever and still huge heart yes exactly (sighs) yeah there were so many scenes like that where we were like why would you write that why would you include that at all yeah and the language i used throughout our reviews was you're trying to hit a beat yes 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 and there's no sort of character emotional continuum that leads this a to happen and b to happen in this way it's just the dictate of the beat brings us here and we get what we get <clears throat> yeah yeah sorry the the reason for my <laughs> is that i feel like <laughs> we are way more negative than i expected us to be half an hour <laughs> into this recording or 45 or whatever it is this um, was an 
unavoidable yeah. part of the era. A part. Not all of it. There were great episodes, like we said. Okay, hang on. Let's not get away from comparing this to prior eras. Can I ask a couple of more questions? So here are, here are a couple of bullet points that I put on, on my list. I haven't fleshed them out at all. Tell me if you agree, disagree, and please do flesh them out. Compared to prior eras, showrunner and Doctor eras... This is a more emphatically inclusive one. Yes, yes. It is a more... Space for all. Geographically diverse season. <laughs> well, Gigantic yeah. place names. Iceland. That counts for something. Amazon... I don't know what Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> so on and so forth. It's slightly more cinematic. Not slightly. It is way more cinematic. Oh, goodness, yes. As production values go, wow, incredible, Bravo. Incredibly well done. There were um, very few... Uh, do you remember, right up deep into the Capaldi era, you were still calling out individual effects as that is just an After Effects demo yeah. given a different colour. Yeah, I do remember this. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, what's it? The caretaker where it's like, that is literally a template from videocopilot.net that I stole once myself and used in uh, Star Trek Swing Shift. Like, yeah. in fucking 20... hell, that's on the BBC. In 2009? <laughs> Yes, 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 in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> if I can steal it, the BBC chose to steal it. Like, wow, your budgets should allow for more. <laughs> yeah, there were very few moments like that. There were occasionally moments where, for instance, in the Ghost Monument, a ship crashed and we just got characters rolling down like the edges of the shock wall. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Where you're like, oh, okay, they didn't have the budget to quite stage that. But nonetheless, what they did show on screen was almost uniformly fabulous. Yes. Uh, as a visual spectacular, yes. this is a, a truly stunning one. A feast for the eyes. Absolutely. And a lot of the cinematography as well. Yeah, well done everyone on the BBC production team, on the Doctor Who production team, on Chibber's production team. Well done, Chibber's. Yeah. Uh, a, a beautiful era of Doctor Who. Yeah, and McGann said... Uh, it's all green screen now but boy have they got some people who know how to work with green screen yeah how to fill that space yes that's incredibly impressive yeah yeah okay yeah you know what? <laughs> that, what's that that's, that's given it. us 25 minutes more quetching yeah, yeah. okay it's, it's good quetching hang on <laughs> i'm gonna go grab a bottle of gin a bottle of campari and a bottle of vermouth oh goodness uh, is it that bad what's I, I, to come i'm gonna make monegronis live on the air while we discuss this is that okay <laughs> sure yeah it's your podcast <laughs> It's our podcast. <laughs> oh, I've got a great stat for you. Oh, here we go. And I think it goes a long way to explaining why the Chibnall era is so much the Chibnall era. I'm, I'm intrigued. Let's hear it. I have done a tally on how many writing credits and co-writing credits in the written by of each episode each showrunner gets. Right, okay. I, I haven't done this for RTD's first series well i guess i can do that i can add that in right now rtd 31 out of 60 so just over half okay yeah and this includes with gareth roberts and russell t davis all that sort of thing okay written by or co-written by yes yeah moff 42 out of 84 exactly half. wow exactly okay. half. yeah so there were long stretches in each series where maybe the showrunner would only bookend the series and you'd have five or six episodes by different writers in between Chibbers, 
out of 31, 24. Oh, wow. Over, over three quarters. There were seven episodes in his whole era that he fully gave over to someone else. That, that is really telling. Yes, and that is why the flaws with the Chibnall era, there was never any break from them. You might get one or two episodes where another person came in and guess what? Because they didn't have that much practice, probably messed it up. And then it was straight back to location, location, location again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. I remember, is this season one? That Season one was 10 episodes, right? Of Jodie's era, yes. Uh, yeah, sorry, of Jodie's era, sorry. Yes. So I remember at the time, the media coverage of it was every single episode is going to have a new alien who is entirely new to the universe. We're not relying on Daleks and Cybers. Yeah. Giant spiders, maybe, but we haven't had those before. Wait, we have. We've had it in the eight legs. Different spiders. <laughs> um, of course, of course. Not alien spiders. More humdrum, earthbound spiders. And every episode was going to be written by a different person who had never written for Doctor Who before. Well, we did get Mallory Blackman, the first writer of colour in Doctor Who's history. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's true. That happened. Yeah. So didn't fully fail. Vinay Patel came soon after. Sure. Yeah. But so some of season one must have been co-written by Chippers then. Season one is where he gave the most away. I see. Yeah, he, yeah. He co-wrote with Mallory Blackman Rosa. Then there were four episodes, six, seven, eight, nine. That's... What um, is in that first season? Not written by Chibbers, Demons of the Punjab, Kablam, The Witchfinders, and It Takes You Away. Three of which we quite liked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where it really comes in is from Ascension of the Cybermen on, Chibbers has at least a co-writing credit for the entire rest of the run. Right. Yep. Super telling and even though the downfall, I think. Even though Flux was very good, it, a lot of it was scene setting and it fell apart right at the end. Hang on, sorry. We have literally just received another listener mini. Oh my goodness. Who's, wait, who's listening in on us? <laughs> it's uh, Tracy. Oh, okay. Hello, Tracy. Well, if it had to be someone, Tracy, I'm glad it's you. <laughs> Where were we? Where were we? Shall we delve back into the categories? Oh, I love it when you delve back into pretty much anything. Take your pick. Episodes, best worst. Let's worst. go with that. Let's go with that. Oh, okay, fine. Yep. You're right. I've picked. Oh, you've already picked. I've I've picked. I haven't looked at numbers. I've just, uh, off the top of my head, I've just picked what resonates in the best or worst categories. Interesting, because I've made a note of what we both gave fours. So I right. want to hear what you remember as... Being memorable. Are we looking at the best then? Yeah. So for best, I've written three. Okay. I've said Rosa, yep. Fugitive of the Jadoon. Yep. This is before we know where that's leading. <laughs> yes. But doesn't matter. And three, I've said Haunting of Villa Diodati. Oh. Okay. Oh, that doesn't tally with the numbers. What I is... thought you were going to come up with something in Flux. But yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah. Flux, yeah, Flux, there's some really good stuff in Flux. But again, this is where for me as a season, I, I, it's difficult for me to split that up. Maybe Village of the Angels. Yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say. That's why I was surprised. Oh, okay, Village of the Angels is a super duper good episode. Really good episode. But it feels to me like it's part of Flux in general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what are your bests? And why? We haven't will... talked about that. Why? Okay. Fugitive of the Judoon, again, because Joe Martin, it was new, her shtick, at that point. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just the same thing over and over again. 
but in ever smaller increments. Also, the power of that reveal yeah. is immense. Oh, goodness, isn't it? It's yeah. similar to, do you remember, I'm sorry to cut you off, but do you remember the the next Doctor with Tennant, mm-hmm. where we also get that reveal in the cold open, I feel it is, the guy who, I can't remember his name now, but is he the governor in The Walking Dead or the... Morrissey, David Morrissey. David Morrissey, yes, yes. exactly. Come on, brain! I, I can't remember his, his uh, character's name in, in Walking Dead. Maybe it is the governor. Anyway, so at the end of the cold open, he goes, someone asks him, who are you? And he goes, I'm the doctor. And you get that exact same sensation that you felt when the fugitive doctor went, this is who I am. This is, well, no, it's the reveal is actually when she is unearthing the TARDIS that's buried next to the lighthouse, which how did she afford? What the fuck? What is she? Oh, annoying. Anyway, not to be detracted, but like, that reveal is so powerful. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. And Joe Martin does a tremendous job. Yeah, really sticks out. Sorry I cut you off. That's fine. So I said Fugitive of the Jadoon. Um, I'd probably go with one of the episodes from Flux. Okay. Um, War of the Sontarans, probably. That's a gr- good one as well. That's yeah. a really strong one. I did like that one. Any particular reason why you liked it? Because the Halloween apocalypse, it's not an episode. No. It's... A series of trailers stitched together. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Agreed. Not even that. It's the first 10 <laughs> seconds that they now call the micro trailer. It's about oh, no. 100 of those stitched I've together. I've never heard that term and I'm so, I'm blessed never to what, have heard maybe, it. <laughs> maybe it's the pre-trailer. I don't know. Does making it more sexual help? Is it one of, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, is, it, is it one of those, this is a teaser for a trailer? In three days' time, you will watch a trailer for the Halloween apocalypse. I don't care to know the correct terminology, just as Twitter will always be Twitter. (laughs) Okay. And the third one, it's my top one. It's Eve of the Daleks. And I'll tell you why. Interesting. I did toy with mentioning that one as well. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Because we've already touched on it. Chibnall had such strange trouble with locations. He wanted Doctor Who to be everything, everywhere, all at once. And I still need to see the film. It's not bad. Yeah. He he had the scattered parts of the Dalek teleport together in resolution. What the fuck, we said? Eh, I guess there's a Dalek and it's shooting a lot. Okay. He had the Sea Devil jump 100 feet onto its ship. He has the Master call into everywhere from anywhere in the power of the Doctor. And all these things just give coincidence a groundless technological or biological sheen, which is always to the detriment of the rest of the show and our faith in Chibnall's plotting powers. Because then the powers that enabled this shortcutting have to be ignored so the rest of the plot and indeed the whole Doctor Who universe can hold together. And his block capital titles, his smug location work, as Michael said, what did he think they achieved? They are so rubbish because they are no more than title cards. Maybe the characters will be delighted to be somewhere distant and exotic in the following scene. But more often than not, it's just another Welsh alley, so probably they won't be and it'll be completely ignored again. He knew... He needed (laughs) movement, kineticism, and flair that this location work promised. But on a narrative level, it was completely empty. In Eve of the Daleks, you don't have any of that. You have a bottle episode. It's Mm -hmm. all there. The characters have to do the work and provide the impetus themselves. And they do. He gives them a chance. He puts his faith in them. And they reward us. And they reward him. And... That's the one time I think he got it fully right. I'm looking at the ratings now. You gave that 4.6. I give it 4.2. Uh, it, it, as I said, I did toy with, with it as well. It, it's, yeah, you're right. I think that's exactly right. It cuts out so many of his flaws. 
I'm paraphrasing you now, but essentially you're saying thank goodness for the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> There's a slight twisting of my words. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the, the reasoning is a little specious, but... I, I apologize. I, yeah, yeah no, I, 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 I get it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it best, is incredibly strong. Yeah. Also, incredibly strong guest stars. Yeah. Really, really strong. Well, uh, she in particular. What's Ashling her name again? Bay. Ashlyn. Yeah. It, such good comedic You timing. pretended not to remember her name just so I could pronounce it first, right? Yeah, the ailing bee. <laughs> <laughs> such good comedic timing. So, yeah. And, and also really like a, a compelling character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. And to give it a numerical spin. Yes. There are seven out of the 31 episodes that we both rated in the fours in the Chibnall era. That's nearly a quarter, and it's exactly the same proportion as in the Capaldi era. Interesting, There were nine episodes in those we both gave fours out of 40. So in terms of hitting the highs, this era... It's doing just as well. Yeah, it doesn't actually lack. I mean, there may have been more episodes where one of us gave a 3.9 instead of a four. So there were more nearly great episodes. Sure. But yeah, high for high, 13 does all right. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, well done, Whitaker. Well done, Chippers. What about the worst? Well, that's where this era differs. <laughs> I've only written down two because I feel like I, I want to com- condense this. Yeah. I, I think I know which two, and I think they're my two as well. How could they not be? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, absolute worst one. Oh, that's tricky because Is it? I. It's tricky because I think numeric. I know what my heart wants to say, uh-huh. but I think. If I call back to our review of the latter of the two... You mean you're going to go with... Well, what I'm thinking is I know that numerically it does... I I think actually what I'm trying to say is they are both equally worthless. And I've given them very low ratings, but I've given one a slightly higher low rating than the other that maybe it doesn't deserve. I remember us having this conversation after that review. The, The two episodes in question are Orphan 55... Fuck that episode. And, and Legend, Legend of, of the, the Sea Devils. Devils. Fuck that episode too. Right in the blowhole. That is a... <laughs> <laughs> right in the mouth that doesn't move. <laughs> Jump a hundred feet onto my dick episode. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> Jump a hundred feet. Miss my dick. Land on a bed of nails episode. <laughs> it, yeah, that's is... going to hurt me, you a lot less than it does <laughs> me. <laughs> it, they're, they're both... They're both poor for slightly different reasons. Oh, really? Oh, really? Let's hear them. Well, there's a lot to go into there. Oh, and if, we, we did. If we, yeah, exactly. If we were to detail this, which we have done, that would take us way longer than we have today. But I would suggest, Podcast Land, if you haven't already, or if you have, do re-listen to this, our Orphan 55 and Legend of the Sea Devils episodes. Given that they are... Uh, am I right in thinking they are our two lowest rated ones? Oh, yes. Nice. Okay, I, sh- I should have looked this up. But yeah, given that they are the lowest rated ones, I'm imagining that our reviewers were fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, sorry, tooting our own horns here. Toot toot. But Orphan 55 is terrible because it ha- it, it suffers from lots of different things. Too many characters yep. that are not fleshed out yep. in a premise that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes the exact opposite of sense in fact yes deliberately so it has so many lazy contrivances oh goodness yes so many lazy even like the big reveal at the end like well 
I mean, just go to hell. Yeah. Like, don't. No, I, yeah. I'm not buying a it's single got, thing you're you're selling. It's got the classic trouble with locations, which is the source of a lot of our anger up the contrivances. Well, the, the only look, way to bring these two parts of the script together is to have them build a base on top of the thing they should know about and not build a base on top of. Like. Yeah. Yeah, okay, <laughs> yes, that's true. Th- that, is, that is part of the problem. It's not the whole problem. Oh, no, by no the, means. The fact that they have built... <laughs> yeah, I- exactly, yeah. Let's not even go into detail. It's self-evident why that is a shit episode. And Legend of the Sea Devils is almost like a masterclass in how not to develop characters. Yeah. Both main and ancillary. Yeah. I can actually only think of two ancillary characters. The Pirate Queen, who isn't really a Pirate Queen, but the Pirate Queen and the son, the guy, whatever his name was. Right. The guy yeah. who's like, oh, I'm going to avenge my father's death and my family's death and my village's death, but actually I don't have an arc and nothing makes any Even sense. Even if I were to look up his name on paper, my pronunciation skills <laughs> have withered. So, no, I'm not going to go there. Uh, gee. Either way. Yeah. It's it's a masterclass in smearing fecal matter over the name of special. <laughs> <laughs> a, a member of Podcast Land, I'm not sure how, how much we're allowed to reveal here. A member of Podcast Land did write in at the time who has a connection to the Doctor Who production team and did corroborate the one thing that you, you mentioned in that review, I believe, the scope of the set. Like, the actual pirate ship and how incredibly immense it was and how utterly... Like, what an impressive feat of production value. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the writing, I mean, Chibber's just... like (laughs) Yeah, and Ella Road, clearly not going to be your successor. Ella Road, I'd forgotten that that was a co-written one. Ella Road, who, as I recall, had never written anything major before. But she had no, she had appeared in a Doctor Who episode. Is that, am I right in thinking that? She had, like, she had an acting credit as something in Doctor Who, but she had never written anything. Oh, yeah, I don't know, dude. So, it, it, anyway, yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll trim this bit. <laughs> <laughs> the basic criticism stands. Yeah. Yeah. With Orphan 55 as well, and I'm not going to recount every last bit of shit that that episode has to offer but there was a theme that it touched on that popped up throughout the rest of the chibnall era which was that when it tried to address a pressing current social issue not so much in rosa did all right there but in praxius the two of series 12 where they asked us to care more about the environment it showed such carelessness in terms of episode construction and just for the characters and the humanity in that episode, it was yeah. really harsh to the Benny and and Mrs. Benny. And then in Praxis, some poor Madagascan dude just bought it and nobody gave a fuck because they were too busy coincidentally meeting the next coincidence. I can't believe I didn't mention Praxis, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> a, that's a terrible episode as well. Yeah, and it's painful that the episodes that you want to speak and you want to impart a moral lesson, which is pretty unarguable, are such bullcrap. Not all of them. No. No, not Rosa. I'm accepting Rosa. Yeah, Rosa's a great example of that, where Doctor Who in general, at least the reboot, has tried very hard and often quite successfully to impart some kind of ethical, moral lesson. Yeah, and I admire its boldness. I mean, I'm always one for the didacticism, but yeah, I admire the ambition. Yeah, and Rosa's a great example of where that works really well. Mm. Really, very, very well. Uh, Demons of the Punjab, another one as well, which comes 
not right after, but soon after Rosa. Yeah, there's some complex characters in that, the brothers. Yeah, absolutely. Th- those are episodes with character arcs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that worked out well. And then we look at Orphan 55 and Bloody Sea Devils. And I'm going to look up whether James Buckley yet has a credit to follow Orphan 55. James Buckley is Jay from The Inbetweeners, who appeared. Oh, yes, as the son of the... Um, well, as the dad of the uh, whiz kid. Oh, that's who, what it was. Sorry, the dad of the... Sorry, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, brain fart. The, oh the dad goodness. of the whiz kids. He still doesn't have anything new. I'm, oh. I'm really sorry to Orphan hear that. Orphan 55 ruined acting for him. Oh, James, come back. He if caught, you're listening, He buddy. caught the hopper virus. <laughs> he did. Now he can do nothing but eat crisps. <laughs> Okay, so that covers best and worst episodes. Let's let's press on. We've got more categories and more things we can dissect and tangent off of. Yeah. Pick a favorite. Fam, villains. 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 Yeah, of course I want villains before fam every time. Before we even jump into the details, uh-huh. are there more villains in this era than in prior eras? Like, the master's always one, right? Yeah, there are a lot of Daleks. That's true. Yeah. Constantly going back to the Daleks for a, a viewership bump. Yeah. Here are the villains that I've written down. I've, I've made no... I've, I've only bullet-pointed names. Okay. No judgment. Tim Shaw, Master, Ashad, Grand Serpent, Swarm, Azor, Bigots, and Discerning Audience Members. <laughs> <laughs> And eight. Dis- yeah, discerning <laughs> podcasters. And discerning we podcasters, We suffered yeah. most of all. <laughs> we're, we're part of the same category, yeah, though, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. Th- we're not in the stratosphere, podcast land. We're all one happy fam. That's quite a lot of characters, right? Yeah. And yeah. Grand Serpent, Swarm, and Azor are one season. Yeah. Three, essentially, nemeses in one season. Mm-hmm. And don't forget Tectayune. Bloody Tech. I did forget Tectayune. <laughs> Drink. <laughs> Chin chin. <laughs> Yum. And the Sontarans, and the Daleks, and the Cybermen. They were also in flux. But, but they're, they, to my mind, and Cybermasters, yada yada yada, but like, to <laughs> my mind, they are just, they're alien races. They're not so okay. much nemeses, villains, architects of evil. Okay. The Master is an architect of malice. The Grand Serpent, likewise, yada yada yada. But Time racist. Time racist is in my missed opportunities list. Oh. Okay. Yeah, racist Danny Zuko. What the of shit course. happened to that guy? <laughs> <laughs> he's still working his way back to the present. <laughs> so Man, he's going to hate the fact that we all came out of Africa. It's going to drive him crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so villains, who is the main villain of the Doctor of the Thirteenth Doctor era? It's got to be the Master, surely. Yeah, yeah, I think so because he's not only a villain in the definitional sense, the definitive sense, whatever. He's also a villain in a structural sense because nobody got enough screen time in this era apart from the master who frankly possibly had too much. I think he did, yeah. Yeah. I love the master as a character. I don't love this master. I've already said it so many times on this podcast. I'm not going to get into detail. Davros barely got any screen time. Back me up, Michael. Bloody Davros. Where is Davros? Yeah, where's Davros when you need him? Goodness sake, don't we? But is this... that? Oh, that leads me to another question. Is this more of a cyber era than a Dalek era, then? Oh, uh, I don't care about the difference, I, honestly. I think it is. Is it? 
I absolutely think it is. They only come along with Ashad. Yeah, but that's for several episodes. There's there's oh, tons of cyber there. Yeah, three at the end of 12, and then they pop up as an alien race a couple of times. We get Daleks with, what's his face, not Donald Trump. Mr. Big. Mr. Big, yeah. Ah. Right? That, that's essentially um, yes. the Dalek bit. Yes, oh, there's Revolution that, of the Daleks. There's that Dalek, which is a spin-off of uh, whatever the other Dalek is. The, Resolution. Is that the, with the, the Scout spy Dalek? Dalek? Scout Dalek, not Spy Dalek. You're yeah. right, yeah. And then either the Daleks, and again, they come back a few times. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But out of 31, feels like it's possibly fewer than we normally get. I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'm just thinking, like, I think this is perhaps a more cyber-heavy era. Hmm. Slightly less on the Dalek thing. That might even be a plus, in fact. Well, certainly there had been a lot of attempts, hadn't there, during the Moffat era especially, to make the cybers scary again. And time after time, it was risible. And it didn't succeed. Yeah. It succeeded for the first five minutes in Nightmare in Silver. And then even Neil Gaiman, whose name was unfortunately stapled to that script, like he's like, oh, no, it was a terrible mess. I, I'd never <laughs> write for Doctor Who again because of my experience on that. Here, Chibbers, the first time Ash had appeared, he did succeed in making the Cybermen scary again. And Certainly. he succeeded in making the Sontarans the ultimate war bastards again. Yes, that is true. Yeah. Absolutely. So he... He, he hit some home runs there. Yeah, well done. That's not a small feat, no. frankly. To succeed where Stephen Moffat has failed. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What about the other villains? Tim Shaw. How do you feel about Tim Shaw? Well, here's where I feel like Chib has got a bit of a rough deal. Okay. Because he made a bold statement, didn't he? This was, again, part of how the program was going to be different, how it was going to be a soft reboot. Lots yeah. of different villains, and everybody just complained about it. And so later on, he brought back the villains, and as we said, he did a good job with two of the three big bads. The Daleks, maybe not so much. And so people laid into him for that. Maybe could have cut him a bit more slack there. Not Podcast Land, because Podcast Land are forgiving, kind-hearted, wonderful souls. But <laughs> I'm talking about the dregs of the internet. I'm talking about the Orphan 55 Morlocks that are out there. <laughs> You know who they are. We don't associate with them. Okay, yeah. I can't but, remember what your question was, but, but broadly well, positive? Uh, right. How do you feel about <laughs> Tim Shaw, I think, was the question. Oh, so, Tim Shaw. Oh, well, when first we, time fine, second time vom. That's exactly what I was going to say. The first time that we watched it, we were incredibly positive. But then at the faintest hint of scrutiny, actually that character falls apart because w w what is he? He is a god. He's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer level version of the Predator. Yeah. It's a bit shit. All right. More oh, villains. made Graham angry, though. More villains. More villains. <laughs> Ashad. Yes. Well, again, first time, great. Second time, eh. Okay. Oh, interesting. In the power of the Doctor. So do you feel the complexity was just lost after... Because Ashad gets... I'm saying his first three episode run exactly great. yeah a yeah. few episodes there yeah great yeah. but when he comes back in the power of the doctor as chibber's victory lap no yeah no. Okay. demeans the character yeah, I, i'm totally with you yeah grand serpent are we back in the missed opportunities pile i was gonna say this is one that hits <laughs> both <laughs> yeah definitely i mean i sent you that um plot outline for us to bring the grand serpent back you never said anything about that i mean i know we've got our own <laughs> adventures to individually produce wait i don't remember that, that but wait there's another audio adventure that i proposed about the grand serpents yeah well, we okay wait, wait, wait. P 
put a pin in, put a pin in it. Uh, we'll take this up post production, <laughs> but after recording, the character has a lot more mileage in him than yes, yeah. definitely, Your which heart. is hence missed opportunity. It's a character who. This is another thing that Flux suffers from the Flux season. There are too many villains. Too much is in Flux. Flux literally. Need, Flux needed one mastermind, which should have been the Grand Serpent, not Azor and Swarm. But it was actually Tectune, or was it Time? We forgot about Time. Time is a villain time. now. Time, yeah. Fuck's sake. Time can eat my ass. The, the, oh, it will. Give it time. <laughs> Can't wait. The the, uh, the Grand Serpent. Ugh. Yeah, no, okay, fine. Same page club, and also, let's pick this back up. Remind me whatever your proposal was, and we'll figure it out after we press record. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Podcast land, you should also look forward to it. This brings me to Swarm and, and Azor. I'll lump them together. Swarm and yeah. Azor, how do you feel about them? Swarm, less of a missed opportunity than Azor. Azor was weirdly kind of second fiddle to Swarm for a lot of the time, or yeah. let off some things that Swarm wasn't. I don't get why they were treated as different when they were brother and sister and they were fully in cahoots and fully co-responsible. That's you know what, what bugged me as much as anything. I had forgotten that they were brother and sister. Yep. For a second there, I thought maybe they were married. That <laughs> 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 uh, they had entered into some sort of uh, romantic partnership. We don't know what they enter into off screen. I, mean, I wouldn't it, put anything past that pair. M- may not even be mutually exclusive. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, they had great moments. Yes. They had moments of utter horror where i will always remember azure melting the little triangle priest and just going (laughs) as as the nick briggs voiced priest goes and just melts into (laughs) sand and she's just going (laughs) do you think uh, because of the two swarm is definitely the main baddie right yeah, he's Swarm the one gets in that the whole, prison. Exactly. He gets that whole backstory of he's been there since time immemorial. But he gets an old and a young version. But Azor similarly has been imprisoned for quite some time, right? Nah, the, she's been undercover in the Arctic Circle. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, that's what it Wait, is. Wait, do we ever find out how that happened? Yeah. No, we don't. Okay. Absolutely not. So, yeah, so fuck that. So what yeah. we should have is just not Azor. Mm-hmm. I think there's a problem here. There's an imbalance of... I'm thinking of this in kind of Bond villain terms. Where okay. either you have a villain or you have a henchman. Uh-huh, and yeah. like and you have a main henchman or henchperson and then you have lots of secondary ones, all of whom look essentially the same and they're very disposable. Well, Knickknack doesn't look a ton like Jaws, but I see what you're saying. Knickknack I would consider a main henchman. Okay. Essentially what I'm saying is if Azor is a henchperson, if she is uh, playing if she is subordinate to Swarm, mm-hmm. then she's getting too much screen time already and too little empathy. If she is equal to Swarm, if yep. she is a villain, then yep. she's getting too little screen time and too little agency. Aha! Yeah, there we go. And that's the problem. Yeah. So there's an imbalance there. Next villain. The Eternals guy. Zelin with the freaky fingers. Who's that? Zelin oh. with the freaky fingers! Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Who was played by... Oh, come on. Help me out here. Oh, crumbs. Ian Gelder. Ian Gelder. Yeah, that's him. Right on the tip of my Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Fun. Yeah, okay. Enjoyable. Sure. Creepy as balls. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Again, slightly underwhelming sister. <laughs> who was his sister? I've forgotten this character. His sister was the one who was imprisoned in a... Oh, between two stars or something. Between yes. two black holes, yeah. maybe. Or... In a complete inversion of Flux. In yes. Fact. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> you know what? 
this is where my brain, brain, my brain, my brain was going. Stop when, getting things mixed around the wrong way. <laughs> this is where my brain was going when I said, "Wait, hang on." Azor was also uh, captured and imprisoned for a long time. I was thinking of Zelen's sister. Yeah, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Okay, Rakaya. Yeah. So okay, fine. I just said that for completeness. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Who else do we have as a villain? Yes, Thomas Edison. <laughs> that's a stretch. Yeah. I, I, it, Lenny Henry. Lenny Henry. Let's go with Lenny Henry. So Lenny Henry is also in my missed opportunities list. Ooh. Daniel Barson, his character yeah. from Spyfall. The oft rewritten Spyfall. Let's, yes. I mean, I do want to put a pin in my remaining villains bullet points. Absolutely. But for, for, for later. But yeah, Lenny Henry's Daniel Barton is a massive missed opportunity. Am I right in thinking he just gets away at the end as well? Yep. Perhaps to come back if he doesn't slag off the show. That's the one thing he can't do. Whoops. So so he just gets away with it, and he has potential to come back but doesn't. Yep. He works for an organization called Vore. Another missed opportunity, by the way. Why are they not the Vord? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Hiding in plain sight. They even looked like the Vord. The bright outline of a character looked very much like a Vord diving suit, the acid diving suit. Whatever. They're in your phones even now, podcast land, to this day. Yeah. Okay. Have we learned nothing? Yes. Yes, the answer is yes. Yes. Anything else about Daniel uh, Daniel Barton? I was going to say Danny Zuko. <laughs> no, not really. Screw him then. Yeah. Danny Zuko. What about Danny Zuko? We're moving across to missed opportunities. I wouldn't mind Danny Zuko coming back and getting a second comeuppance. I absolutely expected him to. Yeah. I can't believe that he didn't. Mm. And he was very early. Rose is quite Rosa is quite early on in the in this era, right? The third episode of third this episode. Era. So. At the time, I'm I'm almost certain that I thought, oh, he's going to be the big bad. Like, he's going to come back and have spent so many years in wherever he was placed. Mm-hmm. His racism is just has just been fermenting. It's been growing and solidifying and intensifying. He's going to come back as an absolute uber space Hitler. Yeah. And in fact, they could have made throwing him back in time responsible. We don't want to excuse the past. But no, wait, we're saying that... A lot of the problems of the past were caused by racists. Absolutely, they were. So, yes, we just we just slot him in there. We don't change the underlying cause. We change one of the protagonists. And they're like, oh, whoops, Ryan, you really screwed up there, buddy. Like, <laughs> yeah. Now we have to fix this problem that you've created. Yeah, that sounds really complex. It sounds very interesting. It does sound very difficult to write, though. <laughs> oh, absolutely. 100%. But it would give Ryan more to do than turn into a twat for two minutes and then come running back in again. What was Danny Zuko? Was he a renegade time agent or was he just a racist who had stolen a time bracelet from I a believe time that's agent? more the latter, yes. Right. I feel like there's a whole story there as well that needs to be explored and wasn't. Yeah, there's a whole complex series of time ripples that you could play with. Yeah. And no, again, there's since Chibnall entered the series, way before being a showrunner, I'm thinking mostly of the power of three and the epic wasting of... <laughs> what's his name? Hang on. Not Stephen Polyakov. It's something like no, that. No, it's... Dag Nabbit! I'm Googling it. Dag Nabbit. <laughs> Stephen Burkoff. Burkoff! That's it. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the epic wasting of Stephen Burkoff. 
You can cut that. <laughs> we can seem a lot cleverer. By the way, when when you mentioned Zelin, Burkoff is whom I was picturing. Ah, yeah. Oh, crumbs. In my mind, there's a slight visual overlap of Stephen Burkoff's fingers being just de- detached <laughs> from his body and going into people's ears. Yeah, slash yeah. haunting your dreams. Well, that's what, <laughs> what they do, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I said ears, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, Stephen. <laughs> Even back then, he would introduce this universe-rocking, upsetting, complex structure and then just completely abandon it by the end of the episode. And we're like, well, clearly this doesn't make any sense. And again, here, he would just... As soon as people were off screen, they never come back. And I get the Doctor Who other eras have also done that. Absolutely. There's no way that this universe could possibly hang together with all the things that have happened to it. Sure. And all the villains that co-inhabit it. Yeah. But here, again, it was a theme. And maybe don't repeat all the mistakes of the past in your new show that's so very different. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have one more missed opportunity and a pin in one more villain. Oh, well, let's hear both of those. Missed Opportunity, Yaz. Dude, thank you for finding the heart that we have been in danger of... (laughs) Of missing out here, not not touching upon. So much more could have been done with Yaz. Definitely. Yaz is a great character. Yeah. Such a good character. Great potential. Such potential. This is another through line of our reviews, by the way. Every single time that we've reviewed something and Yaz has been slightly lesser than she could have been... We've always thought, no, but she has potential to be so much more in this particular story. The one that we are reviewing right now. Why are you not doing more with this one character that you've set up? Yeah. Not just skills as a detective, which why would you set that up if you don't use them more? (laughs) (laughs) But also the relationship with Doc. Yeah. Jesus shit. Make something of that. Yeah. Either go hard from the beginning or just not at all. What we got in the end was kind of okay as a sop but i made a note for this episode that the first proper conversation yaz has with the doctor about this is when they're sat on the beach in legend of the sea devils and that was the best part of that episode definitely and it was a welcome relief for both that reason and the reason that finally it was being addressed finally they were starting to interact in this context But you know what? There is not much to that conversation if you go back and you read the script. It's 13 providing some kind of excuse for how little opportunity for connection she's provided to date. Like, Yaz, I'm really closed off and and I am up here. And And then then Yaz kind of goes, yeah, okay. And then fast forward a number of episodes to you're the greatest person I've ever known. (laughs) One episode at most. One episode, sorry. Or maybe the same episode. I've never met anyone quite like you. You are perfect in every conceivable way. It's like, wait, where did that come from? Here's another potential missed opportunity with Yaz. Yes. Her family. We get to know the family. They are introduced to us. We get to meet her nanny even. But then that much doesn't really happen then. If you're setting up a, a relationship, a romantic relationship, then I feel like that's certainly something where the family would be involved. You know, oh, you're seeing someone. Whom are you seeing? Tell us every everything. We're so happy for you. You're in love with someone. Oh my goodness, this is so exciting. Hey, everyone, yeah. come in. I, I come into this room. Yaz's sister, whose name I can't remember. Yaz's dad, whom, whom I can't remember. By the way, I'm Yaz's mom in this scenario. Everyone, come into this room. Put Yaz on the spot and have her tell us all about this new relationship she's in. Whom mm. is she seeing? We don't really 
get that. There's a hint yeah. in one episode, maybe. Are you seeing someone? Something, something. Let's not pick that up. Yeah. I don't know whether they feared alienating Muslims, but guess what? There are plenty of queer Muslims out there. Gay, bisexual Muslims. Like, it's a thing. So... Yeah, sure. But yeah. but in, in general, if you're setting up... Like, for example, Ryan and Graham have a... Fa- they have a family. They are each other's family. Yes. Dan does not have a family. Oh, no. Right? He doesn't. No, he no. is a single individual... He's a lone who, wolf. ...who has a, a love interest, but he has no family. He doesn't have siblings, as far as we know. He doesn't have parents, as far he as does. we know. He does. Where the hell have you been? Oh, fuck. You know what? I forgot about his parents. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I'm so sorry. I his, completely forgot about his parents. His mum taught him everything <laughs> he knows about wielding implements. Hilarious absolute tits. I completely forgot about that. Okay, fine. Hang on. Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to backtrack and I'll find another example. Okay, go for it. Danny Pink, the other Dan, doesn't have a family. Okay. Right? Not that I can remember. Not that I can remember either, but evidently, as, as recent evidence has shown, I, I am prone to forget these things. <laughs> so Danny Pink doesn't have a family as far as we know, meaning when we explore Danny Pink's relationship with Clara, we don't expect to see that point of view. I see. But the second you introduce a family, you expect that family to be... To be taking an interest in the principal character in this context, life. Yeah. That might be their romantic relationship. It might be their life. It might be their friends, whatever it might be. Yeah. And if you want to keep the parents and nanny out of it, the sister. The sister. Yeah. Do something with that. You have a character here. You've introduced a dynamic. Now use that dynamic. Yeah. Missed opportunity. And the dynamic can be spiky, but Yaz can be trying to get past that to something deeper. And the sister can be like, oh, okay, what is going on here? This scene practically writes itself. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, no, I've got something really serious to tell you about. Oh, okay, what is it? And you can get as far into that as you like. And then something happens to maybe cut it off just before like, oh, wait, what? Could we have a little bit more uh, where the family maybe takes an interest in how Yaz's career as a detective is going because it's not Yaz is not just synonymous with her relationship or would-be relationship with Doc no Yaz has a whole rich life but the family should or should yeah it's certainly alluded to but the family doesn't really take an interest unless it's directly impacting the family for example their next door neighbor has been eaten by a spider yeah. So why introduce the family, have all these characters, but not have them take an interest or be involved? Yeah. And also, Yaz had that terrible problem with bullying. And oh, yes! The family now has, weirdly, <laughs> a dinner on the anniversary of when she came back after she tried to run away. Yeah. Have the family trying. Have them trying because of that reason. And maybe <laughs> imperfectly. In fact, all the better that it's imperfect because you know what? There's complexity and imperfection. See, this I think is, I, I think this also falls into the category of there's way too much intrigue set up for these characters. Yaz has too much going on. If she had hmm. less going on, we, well, I certainly wouldn't be as disappointed by how shallow it is. If she had less going on, then we could probe a greater depth at that scope. Yeah. But there's so freaking much happening that we can barely scratch the surface before we have to move on to the next person to draw our minds back to perhaps a recently memorable visual we're like stones skimming endlessly across the sea (laughs) implausibly just grazing a deeper truth within that we, we really should sink into at some point to make any kind of sense yeah yep 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 i i think actually okay 
Can I propose a segue? Oh, yes, please. Let's segue to the rest of the fam. 100%. Okay. We've, I feel like we've covered Yaz. Yes. Not with glory. No. <laughs> we have Graham, Ryan, Although and Dan. Although, wait strange readings. Yes, we have Graham, Ryan, and Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away, dude. Uh, do I start with the guy who acts with his teeth? And his love interest gets together for no reason with him, as I said last week. It's so alienating his whole thing yeah he's the nicest guy in the world but for some reason Di doesn't want to go in for that until she misses him after after his contract is nearly up it's just uh okay that's done <laughs> that's done done yeah. and, and the the fact is that if you were to write them better it wouldn't be so obviously only possible in a tv show this relationship that's how it works yeah these people they're not real people Chibber's his problem throughout the whole thing is he doesn't give enough room for people to be people. There's too much action. There's too little people giving us a reason to care about the action. So that's Dan. Also, <laughs> outing Yaz and not scoring points for that. Okay. Yeah. Graham Ryan? Well, let's hear something. I haven't had a best, but I do have a worst, and the worst is Dan. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> that, that's, I, I just have a bullet point. Worst call on Dan. That's Ryan, it. you're off the hook. Yeah, don't worry about it, Ryan. Second worst. Ryan is another one of these... He's actually also a missed opportunity in many ways, but... I still don't know how dyspraxia actually manifests. I was going to say, I think maybe that's the only missed opportunity there, because it is set up, but then not really followed up, unless the, the, the plot specifically calls for it. I feel like there's a missed opportunity in the person of his dad because... Oh, that's a good point, yeah. He does kind of reconcile with the dad in resolution. But then when it comes back to... When it comes to the next series, he and Graham are on the exact same dynamic. It's like that didn't happen. Nothing really happened. They're just treading water in series 12. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So even if the dad's not coming back, the events of Resolution should inform in some way what's going on now. Ryan is also a missed opportunity as a direct symptom of there being too many companions on screen at any given time. Yeah. There's, there's not that much action or decisiveness required in a, in a scene, so who's going to provide that action or make a decision? Only ever, every so often is it even statistically likely to be Ryan. So Only when it's taking four minutes for the TARDIS to get to Japan for no reason. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. it. That's the one. That's his... Everybody gets one. <laughs> that's Ryan's. <laughs> okay. Graham. Graham loved him. Oh, loved Bradley him as Walsh. Well. Oh, please. I was so glad he came back for the power of the Doctor and instantly you were like, oh, I see the point. Get together with Ace. Have a spin-off show. Please, <laughs> take my money and my scripts. My license fee. Take my license fee. Either one will do, actually. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. Graham was the highlight of the fam. What a surprise. Yeah. I wasn't expecting him to be able to act. <laughs> to, for starters, I think he's a great actor. I think even after we'd seen some of the episodes once, when it came to the Jodie Whittaker era, we were expecting to lay into him and Bradley Walsh as much as any of them. Yeah. And suddenly a whole different reality <laughs> was on the screen before us. Graham provided... <sighs> The missed opportunity of Yaz, the way that you framed it before was, let's get to the heart of the fam. Yaz is the heart. The heart that was missed. 
Graham, I think, is the actual heart of this fam. Yeah. He's sensational. Yeah, well well done, well written, well acted. He's almost always well utilized. And whenever we get to see Ryan doing anything of value, it's usually because Graham has enabled him to do so in a sort of pseudo-grandfatherly way. Often, but also their interactions were <laughs> by no means bulletproof. Some, sometimes very cringeworthy. Yeah. Sure. The constant reaching out for a fist bump could have done without all of that. Yeah. See my point from before about how Ryan feels towards his family members now. Yeah. Oh, and Graham, yes, he was well written in parts. He didn't always have stuff to do. I think Bradley Walsh, frankly, just proved himself a better actor than than any of the others. Yeah, I wouldn't say better than Jodie Whittaker because I, I, I'm only thinking of the companions. Sorry, because yeah. Jodie Whittaker. Maybe I should have said this an hour ago, but by the end, it really did seem like a loss, and that seemed like the biggest missed opportunity of all when she is at the end, fully opening up to Yaz, and you think, oh, what could have been, and it's finally becoming impossible, and. Ah, the sentimental yearning for her to have had a chance with more writers in this era or a completely different showrunner in a parallel era. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Mm. Right. Okay, so before we jump into... Listener Mini Land. Listener Mini Land and potentially some kind of wrap-up. No, Listener Mini Land, certainly. Only one more bullet point left, and I, I put a pin in this before, and it's the... I, I've written bigots in my bullet point list. But what kind of bigots? Well, essentially all the people who... This, so this is another argument for the deck is stacked against Whitaker and Chibbers from the get-go. Right. This is all the people in the audience, fans of the show, who are of a political or ideological persuasion... Well, you say fans them. of the show, but people who jumped on the the criticism bandwagon before even an episode had been aired. Yes, exactly. And who I think many of them continued, whether or not they had been watching the show, but they certainly continued. People who were saying, the Doctor uh, can't be a woman, so I'm going to hate this era no matter what. Hashtag or, not my Doctor. Yeah, or... Oh, but by which they mean hashtag not my gender of Doctor. Yeah, exactly. There are so many so many accounts of people who were watching the show and who were just like, fuck Doctor Who, fuck BBC, it's all turned woke. It's all about like political correctness and yada, yada, yada. So they're not enemies, they're not villains in the show, but they're villains of the show at this point. Yeah. And possibly worth discussing, even though I don't really want to give them any kind of airtime, but I, I think it's worth noting that this is something that Whitaker, the fam, Chibbers, the writers, the production, like everyone was essentially fighting against. Yes. For one reason or another. Yeah. Thoughts? Well, it does lend extra credit to their boldness in this era. Maybe we didn't always see it because we, by which I mean everyone on the podcast, and I think pretty much all of podcast land are <laughs> little territory of podcast land at sure. least, were fully behind a female doctor and wanted Jodie to succeed in the role and the show to continue succeeding. Mm. So perhaps we were blinded a little bit until, you know, reflecting like we are now about 
how courageous they had to be and how they didn't compromise in that regard. And they were like, take care of the environment and take care of people no matter what. It's no different from what Capaldi was saying at the end. Okay, he did it in a very schmaltzy way, kindness, but he didn't put any limits on that kindness. He wasn't like, be kind to these people in this situation. And so in a way, the show was just standing its ground. And I think that does call out the bigots for what they are. I completely agree. Yeah. And I'd like to see, and I think we will see, RTD continue to be bold in his new era. Well, he's certainly going to be facing, unfortunately, many of the same types of criticisms from many of the same types of audience members. Culture warriors. Yeah. 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 It's it's unfortunate. Everyone knows what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see it go further in RTD's era. I'd like to see him take on the problem of individualism as well. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because representation is great but there's a communal element and an individual element to it and i would like to see capitalism and individualism and it's all its intersections properly taken down and shown for what it is and a much more communal a much more communal caring kind of philosophy put forward it's difficult because doctor who is the ultimate outsider in terms of society do you mean like a roddenberry-esque vision is that what you mean maybe yeah kind of because because there is little room for that in doctor who they they rock up at a planet or on Earth and they're in and out and we don't get to see the wider ripples apart from Elton or the companion support group. That's as much as we see. So I think there is fertile ground there for critique and thinking to take place. I want to see it go further. I'm saying this era did pretty well. Let's keep going. Uh, greed. Right. I feel like we've covered quite a lot of bases in over the past... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 40 cripes. But we're not the only people with opinions, Drew. No, we've got to touch our companions' bases. Mm, okay. <laughs> Did I say that right? <laughs> I believe it's time for... Listener Minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Kablamatron Podcast Land, and welcome to the Listener, Listener Minis. <laughs> section of this podcast episode holy smokerinis and cheesecakes we've got one two three four five listener minis lined up for your earballs today the requisite amount of whoops there first out the gates we have isaac hello isaac 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 is that what we're doing okay i think i think i think we've done some variation of that before hello isaac Isaac starts, perhaps Jodie Whittaker's time on Doctor Who could be considered as important a chapter in the show's history as Christopher Eccleston's return in 2005. The last five years have made incredible leaps in progress for the show. First female Doctor, first POC Master. Saturday one. And Doctor, first POC writer for the show. Mary Blackman. And overall have taken the show in a clear change of direction from where it was in 2017. Well, this is picking up nicely from where we ended. Yeah. Isaac loves this era. It has its faults. And in fairness, some of the negativity towards it is justifiable. See the last hour and 40 minutes. (laughs) But for me, Isaac, the 13th Doctor is my comfort era. Interesting. My go-to place for re-watching. Wow. Jodie Whittaker is my Doctor. Finally. (laughs) My absolute favourite incarnation due to her infectious sense of wonder and enthusiasm that drove her through her adventures. 
Absolutely, by the way. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Always pushing her friends to challenge and better themselves while showing them the universe without the ego and self-importance of some of her predecessors. This is really strong stuff. Yeah, well done. Yeah, Yaz grew from being a background companion in Series 11 to a brilliant space explorer. The exploration of her character's vulnerabilities, desires, and adolescence is a great part in making her one of my favourite companions. Wow. Oh, okay. Isaac, this is fantastic. Yeah. I'm loving this. Anyway, awards, says Isaac. The 0 to 11 award for wonderful nonsense. It takes you away. I'll give it to Can You Hear Me, but that's a strong (laughs) shout. Maybe give that script another pass award. Spyfall. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Biggest missed opportunity award, putting the Doctor in a space prison with famous monsters and not having a former breakout team with them in Revolution of the Daleks. That's a very good missed opportunity. We didn't talk about that. Very true. Yeah. Had to bring back Captain Jack, though, and make him underwhelming. Ah, Whatever. Final award, two's a company, three's a crowd. Ryan, runner-up, the Grand Serpent. Excellent. Very, very well done. Except in the Grand Serpent's case, it's more like 12's company, 13's a crowd. (laughs) (laughs) True. Which is no slur on Jodie Whittaker. That's not what I'm saying. Stop quoting me out of context. Hands down. Honestly. Thank you very much, Isaac. People who are not Isaac should absolutely applaud Isaac online. Isaac can be found at... Ms. Monster Adams. That's Adams with one D. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Isaac. Who's next? Why, next up is GP Haynes. I said G. You say P. G. P. G. Shit. No. Oh, crap. (laughs) Take two. I said G. You say P. G. P. G. P. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Keeping both in. Okay. (laughs) Hello, GP. Wasn't even a bit. I, I, because we're recording this on a Saturday podcast land, I'm drinking a bit more than usual. Well, well, welcome to the club. <laughs> GP starts. Oh, thank hey. goodness, or we'd have nothing. <laughs> hey, everyone. I think I may have missed the cutoff for this episode. You haven't. Here we are. <laughs> Time's just going too fast. Nevertheless, I will share my thoughts on the 13th Doctor. Oh, and in such a timely fashion. I really loved the first two seasons of Whittaker. What? I had slash have no qualms about the Doctor being a woman. Okay. Noted. (laughs) I don't see how those two hang together, but fine. Yes, there was some questionable writing, and for me a noticeable decline in the stories by the time Flux came around. Interesting, GP. Sorry, GP says. Not a fan of this series of episodes. Likewise, GP continues, the specials too started promisingly, only to decline into too many Dalek stories and unimaginative plots. Is GP watching this era backwards? Oh, I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> I wonder how much COVID played into production disruption during her tenure, continues GP. But the thing is, production has never been better in Doctor Who. Agree with you 150%. Gorgeous visuals and seamless CGI integrated into location shoots, coupled with amazing sets, graphics, and props. Here, here. Lip-smacking goodness. So, <laughs> it looks fantastic, but somehow doesn't make up for some questionable storylines and character development. Mm. Or lack thereof. Best companion, says JP. Graham. Hooray! Best villain. The lone Cyberman. But just him on his own. Yes, yes, that's what I said. <laughs> Best episode, Village of the Angels. A flux one. Yes, but also the least fluxy one. Yeah, that's true. The most self-contained. And totally agree. Absolutely. Uh, 
one of the highlights. Yeah. Worst episode. That sea devil one. One is being generous. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, GP enjoyed Whitaker and would gladly watch the first two seasons again. Okay, okay. And the village of the angels. One of the hardest doctors for GP to rate, but GP will go with 3.7. But maybe we should keep companions to two or fewer. Well done, GP. Excellent. And big heart, by the way. Holy smokes. Yeah. Well done. People who are not GP, please tickle GP online. GP can be found at... Finding G-Spots. <laughs> Naughty. <laughs> nice one. Thank you, GP. Who's next? Why next up, it's... Hey, Ollie Raven. Uh, hello, Ollie. Ollie starts... Hi! Ever since Colin, the lead role seems to have alternated between fans of the show and actors who see it as just another gig, which makes Jodie the latter. And yet she fully embraced everything that came with the job, including recording some in-character reassurance to younger viewers from her cupboard under the stairs when the pandemic hit. It's true. We cannot talk about the Jodie Whittaker era without at least bringing that up once. Yeah, we've brought it up so many times throughout this era, by the way. But in its way, it was as significant as anything else that happened. Completely agree. Yeah. That should be among the highlights. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Thank you, Jodie. You alone. Yeah. Literally. And and thank you, Ollie, for bringing it up. Thank you for the reminder. All of which is deeply appreciated, continues Ollie, but it doesn't elevate her actual performance on the show, which is mainly what we're here to evaluate. So, how do we sum it up? Busy TARDIS? Check. First season that tried to do something different but fell back on a classic monster without mentioning them by name in the episode title near the end? Check. Second season that relied a whole lot more on continuity and nostalgia? Check. Campy, hammed-up appearances by a new master? Check! (laughs) A truncated hit-and-miss third season in which the lead actor finally seemed to be hitting their stride once the audience already knew they were halfway out the door? Check. Oh, sad check. (laughs) (laughs) And a big celebration of the show's history featuring past Doctors somewhere along the way? Check. Yes, that's right, folks. It's the Davison era reborn, says Ollie. Does this... Is this ring true for you? Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to have to think about that one a little bit longer, but I trust Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie continues, hopefully this means 14 will be... No, 14 will be like... <laughs> <laughs> Sixy and then Gatwa will No! 15! <laughs> Gatwa will resemble his fellow quirky Scott, the unreal McCoy himself, <laughs> and usher in a new golden age for the show. Unreally brilliant, you mean. <laughs> Overall, Ollie concludes 2.3 wet drips for the era. Hot. 2.9 patronizing primary school teacher lectures for the duck. Ah. Or the other way around. I don't know anymore. <laughs> Thanks, Ollie. Thank you very much, Ollie. Plenty to chew on. Oh, my goodness, yes. Ollie has added, this was listed on the docket as the next bonus app for a while, but now it isn't. So is this even still happening? Yes, and you're on it. Also, is it really the end this time? And has the moment been prepared for? Well. Well, Ollie. (laughs) (laughs) There is at least one more episode to come. At least one more episode. Don't stop subscribing just yet. No, definitely don't. Absolutely not. There is stuff coming up and what we do going forward is are we still debating it are we still discussing we are still discussing it yeah yeah Yeah. so ollie fret not don't worry your heart remains unbroken (laughs) we've flip-flopped on this many times and guess what every time we get a really nice email saying you've been my companion for 10 years or something 
we do flip-flop a little more. Oh, like, my God, yeah. yeah. And actually, like, since we... Sorry, this is a bit of a tangent. Like, since we kind of brought up the fact that, yeah, yeah, we're running off the show now, some of you out there in podcast land have been absolutely lovely. The L word is merited. Yeah. You are amazing. Yeah. And we knew that you were lovely, but we are insecure, isolated creatures on the other end of this microphone. Exactly. it's still lovely to hear. And, and exactly as you said, Drew, like, every now and then we get something along the lines of thank you so much for a decade or thank you for making work or life events more bearable and so on and so forth. And uh, yeah, I think I've said before, <laughs> it's really difficult to hammer in that last nail in the coffin. Yeah. So it, don't worry, don't stop subscribing. Ollie, yeah. in answer to your question, we ain't done just yet. You might as well leave the subscription open because anything we do produce is going to be worthwhile. We're not going to flood your subscriptions with recycled crap. There might be one or two recycled shits. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've got some bloopers built. Up. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, we've got, we've <laughs> That's got exactly more, what I was thinking. <laughs> we've got more than bloopers still to come. Feel free to skip the bloops if you like. But yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Don't stop subscribing. Uh, Ollie, you're a lovely individual. People who are not Ollie should recognize that. Say hi to Ollie online at Foggy Doctor Who. Thank Thanks, you very Ollie. much. Who's next? Why next up? It's Tan Six Fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Tans. Sup, Tans. Tans begins! So, I think Jodie Whittaker received the short end of the stick in her role as the 13th Doctor. Yeah. I think she performed admirably for the writing she was given, Mm. to which I will add, Tans, the screen time she was given. Yes. (laughs) I feel bad that she and Chibnall entered into that pact that she would only do three seasons and then leave as he did. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder how she might fare during an RTD return. Mm. Oh, interesting. I can see her being one of those doctors that comes back. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I, I absolutely think so. Yeah, As long as she's given equal screen time with the current Doctor. <laughs> yeah, and I don't just mean having Jodie sit... Uh, oh, <laughs> Buddha-like. Uh, yeah, <laughs> on the edge of a precipice. Yeah, to appear when Yas summons her via the means of AI, which she is free to do, apparently. I guess so, yeah. For the rest of her existence. Oh, anyway... No. Yeah. <laughs> Tans would love to have seen what Jodie could have done under a different showrunner mm. I'm guessing Chibnall wanted her to leave during his run because he wanted to do a regeneration story maybe whether that was power of the doctor all along is anyone's guess so she was sort of required to leave when he did maybe RTD will arrange to write some specials for her down the road and what a road that would be Mm-mm. Tans continues I think the two biggest issues with the 13th Doctor's run and subsequently Chris Chibnall's time as showrunner is First, that they gave the Doctor three companions and then separated the Doctor away from them for most of the stories. That's a good point. Mm. So there is no character bonding. They end up more like passengers on a bus waiting to get off at the next stop, but it's never theirs. Nope, it's Rose's. (laughs) (laughs) Second, Chris had a lot of great ideas that he wanted to include in each episode, so much so that none of them are ever fleshed out and the stories feel lacking in completion. Fair point. If he could have used just a few great ideas and fleshed them out more, maybe even into two-parters, then I think these episodes would have been ten times better. Also, so many are left with unfinished storylines that are never picked back up. I thought most of season 11 was a bunch of good first parts of two-parters that were cut short. Yes, and this speaks to there only being ten episodes per season, series, whatever, and... One of the things I've been really encouraged by, and this isn't a spoiler for RTD's new era, he said one of the conditions for him coming back to run the show was that he gets to make Doctor Who annually. 
There isn't a two-year wait right. for a new series. That's a that's a very good stipulation to put in your contract. Yeah. RTD recognises that to only get ten episodes, maybe once every two years, it's not enough. You end up having to do things like this, leave all these elements undeveloped, yeah. and us waiting too long, and the chagrin when an episode comes along after so long. I've hammered on about this so much but rtd agrees with me and he's not letting it happen good stuff nice yeah there's your friend who agrees with you yeah rtd welcome to the <laughs> club <laughs> tans also has a list of bests Ooh. companion graham of course <laughs> stories fugitive of the jadoon rosa and haunting of villa diodati that's at least two of yours yeah alien but ting <laughs> Wow, the Pating, the creature that looks and acts like Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. Ah, oh, nice. Crossed with Nibbler from Futurama. Ah, character of the week or Pro- companion of the week? Professor Jericho, we didn't talk about Eustatius Jericho. Oh, we didn't true. talk about him at all. Yeah, that's actually shame on us. Yeah, that's our missed opportunity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think there's a reason why I flubbed and said character of the week and not companion of the week. Okay. I feel like he's less of a companion. He's, he's Yaz's companion. He's not Doc's companion. Dan is Yaz's companion. But, but isn't Eust- Eustatius as well? Well, only in the sense that companions in this era are woefully underserved. Eustatius is all right. So he he's can't great. be a companion. You- <laughs> he's better than a companion. Eustatius is fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he comes in fully formed and he is cut off far too short. Also, what a name. <laughs> yeah, great name. Great name. Tans thinks he was an homage to douglas adams because dirk gently's mentor was professor jericho in the tv series oh interesting we talked about how chibbers is always homaging douglas adams in other i mean he called one of his episodes 42 for goodness sake yeah that's true yes that's true and we have mentioned it in passing i don't remember professor jericho i haven't seen any of the tv shows but in the books there are only two books, right? I have no idea. Honestly. I think so. I don't remember Professor Jericho. Unless the Professor Jericho is the guy who then turned into in Sharda. In Sharda, there's like an, there's a bumbling professor who's also a Time Lord. Oh, okay. But there's a bumbling professor, and I wonder if maybe Jericho is the person who was then sort of repurposed for that. Oh, right. or, or rather, the other way around, sorry. But yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Good insights, Tans. Tans also has a list of worsts. <laughs> Worst companion. Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Defo. Stories? Praxius, It Takes You Away, and Legend of the Sea Devils. Remind me, which one is It Takes You Away? It Takes You Away is the one that... It's so shit, I can't even remember No, it's the one that Isaac gave the 0 to 11 award for wonderful nonsense. It's it's... the one with the frog. Oh, it's that... Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Don't worry. Yes, I am on board. I get that the frog is divisive, but we gave that quite good ratings. (laughs) And Alien. The Morax. Remind me who the Morax are. I will as soon as I have Googled it. (laughs) Well, it certainly (laughs) hasn't. <laughs> been at the forefront of art. Oh, n- really? The Morax are in oh, bloody hell. They're the witches in the Witchfinder. Is it called the Witchfinders? Oh, the mud. Yes, the exactly. Sentient mud. Yes, exactly. Right. Is it called the Witchfinder or Witchfinders? The Witchfinders. Yes, nice one. Was King James or Sarah Williams? Oh, don't you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tans concludes, 
I'm just looking forward to see what RTD will do to untangle this mess or if he will just ignore it and write as if he never left the show. I did like the Flux idea and season, just not the way it ended. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. And excellent yeah. question. It, it, time will tell. What will RTD deem worthy of picking up? Will the 14th Doctor, for instance, dangle that fob watch that the TARDIS is taking care of? Oh, oh, yeah. Are, in fact, all the previous Doctors between the Fugitive Doctor and the First Doctor accessible through the AI program that oh, Chibbers no. wrote into the... No! Yeah, yeah, the TARDIS knows. The TARDIS no! knows what's going on. Oh, I don't like that at all. No. That's the kind of thing that you put in at the end of a show. Like, not at the end of a season or at the end of a, an actor. Yeah. It's the end of a show. It's like, don't worry, all these characters will live on forever together in perfect harmony. They're all on a, in a farm upstate. But this show is continuing. <laughs> but, now we have to visit that fucking farm. <laughs> but there could be someone who feels this strange connection to the Doctor, and you're like, why is that? And then a Joe Martin equivalent pops up. It's the AI. And then we get yeah. another Doctor to play with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be a way of introducing them. That could be a fun thing. RTD, maybe. are you listening? Maybe, maybe. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'll keep an open mind. Between you and us, RTD, we can we can make this work. We can work something out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> be in touch. You've got our email. Yeah, you hear it at the end of every episode. <laughs> I would like to extend a massive, massive embrace of gratitude to Tans Six Fingers Mm. for a fabulous mini. Thank you so much, Tans. People who are not Tans can follow Tans online at Tans Six Fingers. That's six, the word. Yep. (laughs) Because, did you see this? No. He left a comment on, I think it was the blooper reel. Okay. I only saw it today. Saying, I don't know how you misunderstood this, but there was never a Tan Six Fingers with a number. So uh, ignore any reference to Tan Six Fingers Six the Number in the past podcast land. Oh. Hit up Tan Six Fingers Six the Word. Thank you so much, Tans, and apologies for any misunderstanding. Yep. Who's last? Why, last up, it's... Tracy from America. Hello, Tracy, Hello, who Tracy. sent in a mini for this while we were recording. Perfect timing. Amazing. Yes. Tracy starts. Hello, all, and welcome to the Tracy, Tracy from America. America Doctor 13 Awards Show. I'm your host, Tracy. Tracy. Here are my picks for best <laughs> other superlatives. <laughs> best episode. Tie between Rosa and it takes you away. Wow. Oh, here's our friend who disagrees with our other friend. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Rosa has the most compelling real-world tension, as well as the interesting sci-fi concept of merging history. Oh, yes. While it takes you away was a treat for the senses in the beautifully done boundary zone populated with weird and dangerous creatures, Mm. such as Kevin Eldon. Was Kevin Eldon the guy who was in Babylon 5? Yes, right, yes. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I remember that conversation. Yes, that was he. Next award, a best whimsical representation of an entire universe. The solar tract frog from It Takes You Away. Noticing a theme. Yeah. Best creepy weirdo. Ribbons of the Seven Stomachs. Remind me? Kevin Eldon. Oh, right. Oh, that's it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, was that's his name a, Ribbons? Mr. Babylon 5 himself. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Too Many Close-Ups Monster Award, the Skithra Queen. Remind me? 
I think this is Nikola Tesla's Night of Creepy oh Wonderment. Oh, Lord. Yes, that is who that <laughs> is. Original episode title. <laughs> <laughs> I can see I can see the face. Yeah, I know exactly what I you're think, talking about, I think Tracy. so. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> Worse than the, the Rachnos. The Rachnos times 10. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Clearly inspired by the Rachnos. Mm-hmm. Scene stealingest guest star. This is a great category. Yes, it is. Goran Viznich as Tesla. Oh, yes. Also in the Best ER Cameo Awards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice one. Most memorable pregnant guy, Yoss from the Suranga Conundrum. Well, he walks that award category. Yeah. <laughs> Preachiest concept. Environmentalism as seen in Orphan 55 and Praxius. Yep. I stand by the fact that it would be less preachy if the episodes were less shit. Yes. It would be part of a more satisfying whole, and we could be like, of course we agree with that. Yeah, Rather than I agree. you're trashing this concept we previously agreed with. Also, Orphan 55 didn't need that. No, Oh, it needed a, It needed to be flushed away into the rising seas. I, I best alternate doctor. Fugitive doctor. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right, yeah. Most outlandish doctor claim. Maybe I'm Banksy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Banksy, or am I? That was it. Oh, uh, yes. Nice. And I should say, we haven't mentioned the humour in this episode. Yeah? In this era. Good at times. Yes. Great at times, in fact. Yes. And humour is an essential element of Doctor Who, and it was very rarely neglected. Sometimes it wasn't quite hitting the mark, but lots to laugh at. Yeah. And that was sometimes an episode saving grace. Uh, greed. And the oh, number of times, grace. the number of times, oh, Grace, oh, no. <laughs> oh. oh dear. And the number of times, we didn't talk about Grace. I know. Yeah. There's no time. No, Sorry. there's no time. Okay, what's next? Most underwhelming returning villain, Tim Shaw. Mm, he just sneaks it from Ashad at the last, yeah. No, I'm I'm with Tracy on this one. Yeah. Yeah, screw Tim Shaw. Or the Scout Dalek. The Scout Dalek that was so brilliant in one episode and then the next just gets summarily shot. Yeah. Yeah. Best masterline. Come on, Dr. Catchup from Spyfall when he reveals he's not O. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty solid. Best episode of Flux, the first couple minutes of it, a.k.a. Escape from Carbonista. Yep. As long as you ignore the entire rest of it, that makes some kind of sense. (laughs) In conclusion, concludes tracively conclusively, bring back Murray Gold. Well, aren't you in luck? Is he coming back? He is indeed. He is coming back. See, They're making I, a I'm big... I'm really keeping a low profile with this stuff. <laughs> they are making a big thing about yes. premiering the new Doctor Who theme. They've already done Murray it. By Murray Gold. Oh, so you know that much? I've not listened to it. Yeah. It's, it keeps coming up in my feed. And yeah. I'm like, no, I'm not fucking listening to it. The cat texted me a week ago <laughs> or something. like, oh my God, here's a link to the new theme. It's like, no, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, that's pierced your otherwise impenetrable armor. They are so pleased Murray Gold is back. And there is going to be all sorts of orchestration. Oh, I cannot wait. Yeah, that's going to be good. Yeah. Bonus. Husband from America's <laughs> picks. Best companion doing something with nothing. Graham. Great pick, Husband from America. Well done, Husband from America. (laughs) (laughs) You should write in more often. And finally, best composer, Boney M. Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't beat Boney M. <laughs> but now Murray Gold's back. <laughs> yeah. It's an ageless banger, Rasputin. It really is. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tracy. Absolutely solid mini. Thank you so much, Tracy. People who are not Tracy should say hello to Tracy. Tracy can be found at Yekatnyatnuf. That's Fountain Tracy. Backwards almost. <laughs> 
Right, that concludes our Holy Smokes. Two hours and ten minutes long, 13th Doctor retrospective. Every minute, solid gold. Cripes, a Rooney, and cheesecakes. Wow. Mm. Wow. Oh, we didn't talk about the 13th Doctor TARDIS. Oh, well, everybody knows what we think about it. Yeah, yeah, hated it. I've had a freaking blast, dude. This has been great. Yeah, excellent. Excellent We should do this more often. Mm. (laughs) Um, We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. On that note, what's next? Well, thank you for asking. In the classic Who category, nope, <laughs> not happening, sorry. In the audio category, a <laughs> good one. <laughs> in the new Who category, keep your pants on, we're, wait for it. We're in discussions. Yeah. But in the bonus Who category, we have the, the Who Back When retrospective. Yeah, that is happening regardless. We are going to be looking back at a decade of podcasting. Yes, and possibly ourselves and Doctor Who in general. Yeah, quite frankly, I feel like this podcast has changed us and we have changed it alongside all these years. So yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make a copy of that, then get a therapist and then give that therapist a copy of it. Yeah, uh, and there are some fun Whovian shenanigans to follow after that yes, as well. Perhaps of the original variety. Yes, yeah. indeed. Perhaps of the strongly teased variety. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There, there are two to three things in that category coming up. Actually, we've dropped more hints perhaps than RTD has. Even. Oh my god, yeah, this Goodness is a teaser sake. for a teaser for a teaser for a teaser for yeah. possibly an audio adventure. You could <laughs> cobble together 90% <laughs> of the plot if you tried on the like, I think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime, you can say hello to us online Drew, you're no longer on X. No, but I am part of the Who Back When Collective at Who Back When on whatever that you choose to call that. Yep. And at whobackwhen at gmail.com. That's right. I am still on Twitter or X or whatever. You can find me at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. And that's about it. Podcast Land, thank you so much for listening. As always, you have been an absolutely mesmerizingly lovely audience, and I am eternally grateful. Until the next time, rock on, be rad and excellent to each other, and cha-chao. Bye-bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to, and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?